of Romans, chapter 8. Please rise for the reading of God's word. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Any more Bibles? We like not only to hear the word of God, but to see the word of God. Have it branded into our our minds. Romans chapter 8. Verse 35, Lord, have your way with us as we read your word. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril, which means danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height or death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, I pray... Lord, that I wouldn't be a hindrance for those four or five verses just sinking in deep because, Lord, they speak for themselves. They really do. Man can only mess them up. Man can hardly make them better. But you've said, Lord, you've commanded us commanded Timothy, preach the word. And so I'm up here, Lord. I don't, I don't want to get in the way of someone really getting it. That neither tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, danger or sword, neither devils or death, anything going on now, anything going on in the future, nor height or death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate them from the love of of God, which is in Christ Jesus, Lord. That that would just sink in deep to my heart as well, Lord. God, we want to shine like stars, as your word says, we are to. We will, Lord. 
when we live and breathe those verses, your word. So, Father, have your way with us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. When I was a young boy, my family on my mother's side was very close to that family. My mother had two brothers and a sister. And about six cousins on that side of the family. We spent a lot of time with them. We're very close to them, my cousins, my uncles and aunt. But by the time I was nine years old, all my mother's siblings were divorced. Both my uncles and my aunt. There was also an aunt on my father's side of the family, divorced. So two uncles, two aunts, we had been close to, divorced by the time I was nine. All their children, of, of course, in the middle of all that. And this was deeply traumatic to me. It's a young boy. And as I've just observed, all, it's all around me. It, it became evident that it, I guess it was just so normal, so usual, so customary for a man to fall in love with a woman and then fall out of love with her and separate forever. I just figure, as a young child, and I am of no exception, most of you by the time you were 10, 11, realized the same thing. That a, that a, a, a man could, a woman could fall in love with, with a man and then just fall out of love with him and just separate forever. As a young boy, you're thinking, what can be more important than a mom or dad staying together with their kids? Don't they love each other enough to do that? No. We separated forever. I learned early in life. There are things that separate us, separate us from the love of man. The stuff of life separates us from the love of man. Some of you here today are deeply wounded, some deeply, deeply wounded, some deeply, deeply, deeply wounded 
because someone loved you, maybe a friend, maybe a brother, sister, maybe a cousin or relative, maybe it was a coworker, maybe it was a boss, and, and their love for you was seemed, seemed large. And, and, and they just separated. They went their way. They fell out of love with you. And some of you have grown so accustomed to love just not being large enough, not lasting enough. Like people seem to turn love on and off like a light switch. They love you for a while and then they stop. And how often have we done that to others? Oh, God, forgive me for my track record there. And when someone loves you for a while and then they stop, it hurts. And after a while, you don't trust love. Why should you? You know, when you're wanting to discover what really is in the soul of a man or a woman, go to lyrics and songs. There's where you'll find it out. So that's just that's the power of music. The lyrics of songs often express the deepest um, part of man, the deepest part of women. I was just thinking about a a couple songs, and here's one of them. Matt Mayer, all the people say amen, and all the people said amen. Oh, oh, oh. Anyone know that one? (laughs) If you're rich or poor, well, it don't matter. Weak or strong, we know. Love is what we're after. And that's just true. That's just a fact, a reality of life. Third day, medley. This is what you call clarity. All I want is love. I confess to this. That's all I want, love. I confess to this. So the Beatles sing about what every human heart cries out, love is all you need. They sang with tens of millions of others. But their love didn't prevent them from separating after not much more than a few years. Man desperately wants to be loved. Man desperately wants to be loved. I desperately want to be loved. But any love 
found on planet Earth, there's always going to be a letdown, without exception. The Bible says, No love found on planet Earth is so strong that you don't find yourself in some way separated from it at some point, but not so the love of Christ. Verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. What shall separate us from the love of Christ. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing does. And that's why in Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, same guy who wrote the book of Romans, says that he bowed down on his knees to God and he said, he prayed for the Ephesian church, I pray that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Because we don't know a love that does not separate. We don't know that love. We don't experience that love on, on planet earth. Why does he pray that? Because we don't know that kind of love on planet Earth, but when we do get to know it, when we do get to know it, we will do anything for God. We will be faithful to the calling that he has on our life in which he has called us to hard things. Every one of you, if you're a Christian, has been called to a hard thing. Oh, I pray that, that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Who shall separate you from the love of Christ? There's no such thing. Now, why is that? Why is it that nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Anyone know? Anyone want to shout it out? Why is it that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ? Turn back to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, we were in Romans chapter 7 a few months ago, verse 2 says this, for the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives, but if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband, so then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress, but if her husband dies... She is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Verse 4. Therefore, my brethren, 
This is God talking to you. You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another. To him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. So when you said, yes, Jesus, yes, come into my life. Yes, Jesus, I believe you're the son of God who came into the world to to save me. Come in, wash me up, save me. You are now my king. When you said that, you became married to him. When Jesus describes uh, marriage in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, he says, a man shall be joined to his wife and become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. But man does, as we've already talked about. He does separate what God joins together, but God never does. He never does when it's him being joined to a man or a woman, when he joins himself to a man or a woman, which he does when you say, yes, Jesus, come in. You're locked in forever. Romans 8:35 says who shall separate us from the love of Christ no one and nothing once you have been joined to Jesus the bible describes it as a marriage we just read that in verse 4 of chapter 7 you can't get away from the love of Christ even if you want even if you try to you cannot get away from the love of Christ you can't rip yourself apart impossible Hence, the reason for that two-word description that is given to every Christian, what is that two-word description used at least 50 times in the Bible to describe you? What is it? Louder. In In Christ, everyone. In Christ describes you. And what, when God joins himself to a man or woman, it cannot be separated. In Christ, used over 50 times in the New Testament to describe you. Can we get uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30? It is because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. Never has a little preposition been more important than this one, the word in. Next verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Next verse, Ephesians 2, 13, but now in Christ, can everyone say in Christ with me? But now in Christ, Jesus You who once were far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. You cannot be separated by the love of Christ because you're joined to him forever. So back in Romans chapter 8, who can separate us? From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all things we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Nothing can separate you from the love that Jesus had for you, including your own performance, including your own behavior. His love is not dependent on what you do. He may, he may not be happy with what you do, but his, his love is not dependent on what you do. Why is that? Uh, the, very simple. God is love. He is love. And no such thing can be said of any human being. Steve is love. Not a chance. Teresa is love. No. <laughs> Francisco is love. Benjamin is love. Max is love. Javier is love. Gabriela is love. Linda is love. Julia is love. Deborah is love. No, 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 no. No such thing can be said of any human being as can be said of God. God is love. What you do does not affect his love for you. You got to get that. You got to. If you're going to be more than a conqueror, verse 37, you got to get that. Otherwise, guilt and shame is going to allow the devil to conquer you. What you do does not affect God's love for you. When you grow in your marriage, God is love. That means his love for you doesn't grow over time. God's love for you doesn't grow. When, when, when you grow in your marriage, your love for your husband uh, grows. Your love for your wife grows. When, when you grow as a Christian, your love for God grows over time. Not so for God's love for you. It is perfectly powerful and pure from the very beginning. Everyone with me? Yes? It is, is perfectly powerful and pure from the very beginning. It doesn't grow. It's as powerful at the beginning and intense at the beginning and everlasting as, at the beginning as it ever will be for all eternity. God is love. Now, God's love, and we see this in, in verse 37 is ever and always, God's love for you is ever and always fixed 
to the death of his son. It's ever and always fixed to the death of his son. Notice verse 37. It says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, notice there, um, notice back in verse 35, love is spoken of in the present tense. You notice that? It says, who will separate us from the love of Christ? That's speaking in the present or, or perhaps in the future. That's not so in verse 37. 37, it's the past tense, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The past tense. That blood-saturated body hanging on the cross is the evidence of God's love for you. Verse 35, you're in tribulation. Can tribulation separate you from the love of Christ? What do you do when you're in tribulation? You remember that blood-saturated body on the cross. When you're in distress, distressed, A child has, has died. There's, you've had a miscarriage. You, you, you've had a father or mother with news with cancer. You, 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 you failed out of school. You, you, you got into a car accident or a close friend did, and they're dis, disabled. I mean, like big time distressed. You remember that blood-saturated body on the cross so that you know that the love of Christ is in no way separate from you. You're, you're joined uh, to that. Continuing on in verse, in verse 35, you're persecuted. You, you remember that blood-saturated body on the cross, it says, or can famine or nakedness separate us from the love of Christ? Famine or nakedness, when you're just lean, you're in a place of life where you don't really know anybody, or, or, or you're in a place of life where you're walking with God, but no one else in your church seems to. Times are lean. There's famine, a famine of love, a famine of, uh, from human beings, a famine of, uh, of fellowship with human beings. Or you very well may be in a place of literal famine or nakedness. You don't have a whole lot to clothe you. You, you don't have a whole lot to, to eat. What do you do? You remember the blood-saturated body on the cross. In peril, which means danger. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Can peril, can danger. I was born 
in, the, in Massachusetts. Grew up in the Boston area. Moved away when I was nine. I moved to South America. I moved to Venezuela. And I lived, I lived there on and off for the next 10, 11 years. Today, the country is, is one of the most dangerous places to be. The homicide, Caracas is the homicide capital of the world. And I remember my son and I, my son Sam, we were talking a few years back, wouldn't it be great to start a Calvary Chapel? Caracas. It was the one of the only one of the only countries in Latin America that didn't have a Calvary Chapel at the time we were going to at the time we were talking about this Peru had about 20 Calvary chapels. And my son asked me if if you go back to Venezuela to Caracas where would you put a Calvary Chapel? Where would you go? And I said, we would go to this neighborhood. It's called La Trinidad, the Trinity. That's where we would go. That's where my, my uncle had a business. I had cousins lived there. It was right next to the school I graduated from. La Trinidad. And last May, I was at a pastor's conference. Down in Maryland. And someone came up to me, a pastor came up to me, hey, weren't you interested like in Venezuela? Weren't you interested in helping out or, or, or starting a, help start a church there? That guy over there, he, go to him. He knows there's a Calvary Chapel that started there. And I went to him and I went to him. I said, it's just true that they started a, a church in, 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 in Caracas, in Venezuela? He said, yeah. I said, where is it? He said, La Trinidad. (laughs) And I I just was overcome with emotion. And and, uh, I I later went just back to him, and I I just with tears. And I I still have relatives there. And the country's just being crushed by the devil. And so we got in contact with the pastor there. We've been talking with him, and I know I got to go. And when I usually, when I tell people that I, 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 I'm, I'm going to go, they just say, no, you don't want to do that, particularly if they're from Venezuela. But how am I supposed to? How am I supposed to not go? It's a blood-saturated body on the cross. It tells me right here that, the, that we'll, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will danger? So I just stay here, my comfortable home in the United States of America, in Boston? 
with my hot showers and my big meals and the, and, 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 and the family who surrounds me and, and all the stuff that we have all the time, and, and my vacation spot with my mother on the Cape, that's what I do? And so pray. I'm scheduled to go in, in the last week of next month with one of my daughters. Is she going to take your daughter? I can't stop taking my kids. I've been taking them with me my whole life. It's the tragedy of, of Romans chapter 8, which many call the Mount Everest of the entire Bible. <laughs> the tragedy of this, of this chapter is that it's used by prosperity teachers to mean precisely what it does not mean. So in Romans uh, 8.28, it says, and we know that all things work together for, uh, for good to those who love God. And, and, and so uh, this has come to mean that God is just going to be placing little good things on your life, and your life is all about good things from God, the good things you dreamed. Dream your dreams and you'll get them all. Or Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not with him give us all things? All things, yes. Our life is about accumulating all things we want. No, it's not. Your life is about doing the will of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, not seek ye first all the stuff that you want. Ever wonder why verse 36 says, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Seems to be completely out of place. It's like weird, like thrown in the middle. Anyone else ever, when you're, when you're reading that, uh, it says, for, for your sake we are killed all day long. Uh, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Uh, well, guess what that means? That, the, what, what that is telling us is that Paul is willingly embracing the tribulation, the, di the distress. He's willingly going and being persecuted. He's willingly uh, going into famine and nakedness. He, he knows if I go to that place, I I I'm not going to have enough to eat there. <laughs> He's willingly going into danger. He's willing to go to the places where there's, there's the sword. For your sake, verse 36, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You can't separate the love of God, that love of Christ that he has for you from the cross. In fact, I will even um, go further than that. You can't, you can't separate the love of, that Jesus has for you from the wrath of God. You can't separate those two things. Romans chapter eight, this, this Mount Everest, this, this top of the peak here, these last few verses of, of Romans uh, chapter eight, where did they begin? 
Where did this mountain begin? You, you can't appreciate being on top of Mount Everest unless you did what? Unless you started at the very bottom, right? So let's turn back quickly before we close out. We're going to have communion. But before we have communion, I want to go back quickly to Romans chapter 1. This is why the peak of Romans chapter 8 is so glorious, is so wonderful. It says in, in, in Romans chapter 1, you can go back there uh, with me. In verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And that is as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God, wrath means anger. In Spanish, ira, anger, the, the judgment, the punishment of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous, unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Meaning God is saying, I am here, I am here, I am here, I am here. Invite you into my, uh, invite me into your life, invite me into your life, invite me into your life, and we push it back. We suppress the truth, the Bible says. Verse 21 says, although they knew God, and this is describing every human being who's ever lived other than Jesus Christ, it describes you, it describes me, it describes your children, it describes your parents, your brothers, your friends, it describes every person in the history of the world. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were darkened. The wrath of God. Why is the wrath of God a fair thing? Why is it a just thing? Why is it that man could ever deserve something so terrible as hell? Eternal destruction in hell. Why? Verse 22 and 23 of Romans chapter 1. We profess to be wise, but we become fool, fools because we change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. So God makes this incredible thing called the human mind. And what do we do? We deify it. We turn it to an, uh, into an idol. We turn into the human mind into an idol. Or, or, or we take something made by the human mind, a, a, a yacht, a, a video game, um, a, a, a computer, the, the internet, uh, cars, what, whatever, and, and we worship it. We, we exchange, the Bible says, the glory of God, verse 23, the glory of the incorruptible God, and, and, and we exchange it for an image made in the likeness of co corruptible man. We take something as beautiful as, as, as sex between a man and a woman, just such a beautiful thing that the Lord has given us as just a fabulous gift, and we prostitute it. We twist it. We defile it. We make it into an unclean thing, something that, that, that the Lord meant for, for beauty, for him to be glorified in. 
And it says in John chapter 3, right after the most famous verse of, of the Bible where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Last verse of the, the chapter, though, says, if you don't believe, you get the wrath of God hanging over you for exchanging the glory of God. The glory of the incorruptible God for exchanging it for some petty, stupid, silly, foolish thing. And the Bible says that God did so love the world that he sent his only son that on the cross Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God. How does that hymn go? Till on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. It says the sun was darkened. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That God had turned his face away. The wrath of God was on, was on Jesus and, and he, he tasted hell. He experienced hell for you. Because you exchange the glory of God for the incorruptible God for a silly, stupid, ridiculous, corruptible thing. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says this. It says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus. He put him to grief. It says, when you, God, made his soul an offering for sin. If you don't understand the wrath of God, if you're one of those people who say, oh, the wrath of God, those old, crazy, fire-breathing, hellstone, hell and brimstone preacher guys, it's the wrath of God. If you're like that, you're not going to be more than a conqueror. Absolutely no way. Jesus so loved you, he took that wrath. He took it for you. And then when you, when you said, yes, Jesus, he joined himself for you. And, and he's never, that love of Christ is never going to separate from you, no matter what you do. You can't get away from his love at that point. This communion Sunday... I'm going to ask... Danielle and Eddie to come up to close us in worship. Communion Sunday, we remember the blood-saturated body that died for us on the cross. It was so ugly because our sin is so ugly. Had to be uglier than our sin. Had to be uglier than the sin of the whole world. It's pretty ugly when the, the, the Prince of Peace, the Son of God who lived a perfect life, is like that. It's ugly no matter who's getting crucified. But when it's the Son of God, He died for us. And then He rose again. Can we go back, Dennis, to that verse in Ephesians, uh, Galatians that I skipped over? Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The life 
I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. It says me. Yes, it's true that, the, that, the, that, that God loves the world, but he also loves you. It's true that God uh, died for the world, but he, he also died for you. It's true that he died for the church, but he also died for you individually. He died for you. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God loves you. God loves you. And you can't be separated from his love. If you've been asked to pray, if you could please come up as a prayer partner. So this wonderful chapter has not been given to us so that we can just go out and build our own kingdom. No, we seek first the kingdom of God. And I think in Romans chapter 7, where it talks about us being married to Jesus. It's interesting how it says there, you now have been married to another, but then it says, You've been married to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. Once you get the love of Christ for you, you will bear fruit to God. You know how? Dennis, can we get that verse in Philippians? In, in, in Philippians, it says, you are exhorted, I'm exhorted. The word of God is telling us. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You know what the world does when it's in tribulation? It's like, oh, what God? How can a God of love allow something like this in my life? Do you know what the world does? When it's in a time of distress, Romans 8, 35. Oh, how can, there is no God. A God, a, a God would never allow me the pain that I'm in. That's what they do. Do you know what, a, a, what uh, the world does uh, when uh, they're in persecution or, or famine or nakedness or danger or, or the sword? When, when people start being put to death, they start cursing God. Not you. It says, do all things without complaining or disputing. God, thank you for this distress that I'm in. Because in it, I am going to shine as light to the, in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. And you're going to get all the glory. When... The, the, the world is in tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness. They complain and they dispute. They start blaming each other, disputing with each other. Not you. No, you remember you, the love of Christ. You haven't been separated from the love of Christ. And you also remember that God causes all things to work together for his good, his glory. When you do that, 
Again, you shine as a light. You bear fruit to God, Romans 7, 4. You've been married to another so that you will bear fruit to God. So as we're, we're preparing for communion, Bible says, let a man examine himself, let a woman examine himself. If, if I've said anything, if you've heard anything in the message today or the Lord is speaking to you in any way that um, you're thinking, for example, wow, I'm taking that, that cross, that blood-saturated body on the cross, I'm taking that really lightly by holding on to this sin in my life. And I'm about to take communion. I'm about to take the cup which represents that, that blood that, that was all over that body. I, I can't do that. But I, I don't have the power to, to leave this sin. I don't, I, I, I'm not going to be able to do it. Come up and pray. We'll pray, you, we'll pray you through it. But you don't want to take communion if you're still holding on to stuff that the Bible, to things in your life that the Bible clearly call sin. If you're holding on to them. doesn't mean that if you, whatever you did, whatever this morning or last night or last week, that you can't just in your, right there in your seat, just confess to God and receive the forgiveness from him. But if you're saying, no, I, I, I'm just going to hold on to it. Don't go take communion. The Bible calls that trampling on the, the, the cross when you do that. But if, but if you want help, because you just you feel like you're in bondage. Come up, we'll pray for you. Or if there's anything else, anything else that you want to do, that you want to pray about, rather, before you have communion. The Bible says at one level, even stressing out, even if we're anxious about something, we shouldn't be going to the communion table like that. Because Jesus gave us a peace that passes all understanding that was purchased for you on the cross now sometimes we need to go every minute of the day because there's stuff in our life that makes us so anxious but praise the lord for his grace but if you want to pray about that thing that is just killing you with anxiety come up as well for it if we have anything else let's um uh i tell you what let's stand and worship and then just at some point there's a communion tables in the back. At some point in the worship song, just go back there, get a cup, get a cracker, and return to your seats. Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, just for the picture of love that you that you have here in your word. We thank you, Lord, that we're joined to you for forever, Lord Jesus, and that nothing can separate us. We thank you that you're just different in that way. And Father, I just pray by your spirit you'd continue that work, Lord, as we're remembering the blood of your son, remembering his broken body, his body broken for us. In Jesus' name.